0: We're continuing through the Psalms, we're in Psalm chapter 3, we're, we're going to study the first five Psalms together, we spent a lot of time in Psalm chapter 2, and we're going to cover entire, this entire chapter in one sermon today. I really like Psalm chapter 3. If you look at, in your Bible as you're flipping there, at the very beginning of Psalm chapter 3, don't forget when you're reading the Psalms to look at this, there's a little uh, introduction. It says a song of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. It's very important to realize the context of this song. So David is king, and he has a son named Absalom. Now I won't read the whole text of it because I want us to have plenty of time for uh, for communion. But basically, David is king was run out of his kingdom by his own son. Absalom who intended to kill him. And he probably wrote this psalm out in the wilderness somewhere in hiding from his own son. I don't know what you're facing right now. But David had a lot to be afraid of. For one thing, just humiliation. I mean that's that's a lot of people's number one fear. You've probably heard Jerry Seinfeld's comedy about people's number one fear being public speaking. Number two fear being death. So that people at a funeral would rather be in the casket than the one given the eulogy. (laughs) People are terrified of humiliation. And here David is dethroned and run out by his own son. People are afraid of death. He could have died. His son's trying to kill him. You might be afraid of... uh, Losing your job or something like that. David lost his job. He's lost his whole kingdom out there. It's a really, really dark time for David. We can't gloss over it just because he's David. One time he killed Goliath. It doesn't mean he's not scared. He's out in the wilderness scared. One thing I like about this song too is this song proves that even Christians, godly people will have trouble. Even family trouble. Some of you, your kids might be a pain, but I doubt any of them have ever tried to kill you. And if they have, we need to do some counseling. You can meet with me after the service. Sam Warren's here. I might turn that one over to him if it's that serious that your children are trying to kill you. So let's read this psalm together. And if you would, if you're able to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, we'll read Psalm chapter 3 in its entirety. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your word. Please, by your Holy Spirit, enable us to hear your voice in it. Soften our hearts to respond to it. And for those who are here with fears and very real dangers ahead of them, pray that you would especially bless them with a look at how a Christian should approach fear and anxiety. Please help me to explain your scriptures well. We rely on you now. It's in Jesus' word we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I know that some of you are in bad situations right now. We're going to look at this psalm because this is where we are in scripture today. But we're going to look at it too because it shows how a Christian can respond to fear and anxiety. David wrote this psalm and he wrote it in a specific time in history when a specific thing was going on. But it's included in the psalms, which means it has a broader application. It's to be used for all of God's people in worship. And you'll notice he doesn't even mention anything specific in the actual meat of the psalm about Absalom. And I think that's because we can apply what he says here to our situations too. So keep your fears, your dangers in mind as we study this passage together. How does David representing God's people? How should we respond to fear and anxiety? I see three things primarily. And the first one, in the first two verses, he addresses it. He doesn't run from it or sugarcoat it. He addresses the fear. He sees it with a sober mindset. He he sees it clearly. He he sums up the situation in the first two verses. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Everybody's pretty much in agreement. David's in big trouble. He's standing in front of of his adversaries and they're swelling like a a tidal wave in front of him that's going to overcome him. And everybody says, everybody agrees, there's no salvation for him in the Lord. Have you ever been in a situation where it seemed pretty clear to everybody that you're pretty much done? It just looks so bleak? That's the kind of situation he's in right now. No one expects God to deliver him. Even men and women of God can get in a situation where it looks as though even God can't get them out. Some of you are in that situation right now in your families, and your businesses, especially in your businesses, and what's going on in our economy. You may not feel like God can get you out. People you talk to may not feel like God can get you out. You might be in the same shoes that David is in right here. And this is what gets me about There's a gospel out there that I believe is false. That says, if you're a godly man or woman, you're not going to face this kind of trouble. If you have enough faith, you'll have health and wealth. And prosperity. And I just don't believe that's true biblically. You know, Billy Graham is in his 90s now. He often, he has to walk with a walker. And his eyes, those eyes that have, have looked on... Billions of people preaching the gospel The eyes that he has used to study scripture They're starting to grow dim His eyesight is starting to to fail him It's inevitable These things are going to happen We're going to find ourselves facing death one day We're going to find ourselves facing health crisis one day We need to just know that We need an accurate understanding of reality So we won't be shocked when it happens He addresses it. And he remembers God. I'm not going to tell you that your problems aren't real or big. But just remember God. God is also real and big. Let's read the next couple verses together. Starting in verse 3. He just addresses his danger then in verse 3 he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. He remembers God. He remembers that God is his shield. You don't need a shield unless there are actually bullets or arrows that are potentially going to be coming at you. He remembers that God is my shield. Now I want you to picture what it is. Your your danger, your fear, whatever that came to mind when I said that. Try to visualize it. And then try to visualize you standing across from it. And then God between you and that danger and fear as your shield. Can you you picture it? I know it's abstract, but can you picture it? You're sitting there, your danger, whatever you're afraid of right now, whatever's stealing your sleep right now is over there, and God is between you as your shield. Now what danger or what fear could be so big that God can't be big enough to shield you from it? There isn't anything. If God is your shield, what in the world can penetrate that? What in the world can get around that? He's the creator of everything. He upholds everything. He's the reason your heart's still beating right now. You're not doing anything to keep your heart beating right now. You can't stop it or start it with your mind. God's upholding us all right now. He's a big enough shield between us and our danger that we can have faith in Him. He says, you are Lord of my shield. You're my glory. One of the things that causes us to have so much trouble when we face danger is that It is real. And we might lose things that are dear to us. But we have to remember that those things are not our glory. There is a weightier matter. And it's God. Now the point is, we might lose everything. But if we don't lose God, we're okay. It doesn't feel like that. I know some of you don't feel like that. But if we lose everything and we still have God, we're okay. Okay. God is our glory. Is, is mainly about God. You have to meditate on that every day. You have to remember that. Because it does not feel that way. It feels like if I lose this, I can't go on. Well, whatever that is, if that's true, then that's an idol for you. Because you're saying, that's more important to me. God can't sustain me if I don't have this. God is our shield. God is our glory. God is the lifter of our heads. He said, I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. He was crying. God lifted his head. It seems like some of us have so much weighing down our heads. And some of us are trying to strain against it. Using all our neck muscles to just get our heads up. God will lift our heads. He's the lifter of our heads. Now... Practically speaking, all this sounds so churchy, and I know that. I'm telling you guys who have very real dangers, don't be scared. Trust God. How easy is that for me to say from up here, and how hard is that for us to do out there? But practically speaking, David gives us some treasure here about how he does it, because he's able to do it, as we're going to see in just a minute. Verse 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, and I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. He's remembering back. He's remembering back to the times that God has shown himself to be faithful. That might be your number one weapon right now. Think back. Remember back. Has he ever failed you in the past? There's a story I think back on a lot, and I may have shared it with you, I'm not sure. But I call it the White Dodge Ram of Deliverance. <laughs> Does that ring any bells? I think back on this story a lot. I used to work in Durham, and I lived in Raleigh. There's some areas of Durham where you don't want to break down, you don't want to be, especially as the sun's going down. Now, back then, I was always in a hurry, and I was always running late. Luckily, I've got that well, totally under, under control now. I don't have a commute anymore now, so it's not a problem. But it was probably about a forty-minute drive to get to where I worked in Durham, forty-five-minute drive back. So I got in my car at our apartments in Raleigh and knew that I was pretty much on empty. But I didn't have time to stop for gas. I had to get to work, so I chanced it and I got to work. And I cannot remember now, but when I got off of work that evening, as the sun was going down, I still felt like I didn't have time to get gas. I needed to get home for some reason. So I chanced it, and I drove through Durham on, on Vapors trying to get home. I got about halfway there. I was on 540, which is, is the Raleigh version of 485, basically. I think it's a 70-mile-per-hour road. And sure enough, my car starts to sputter and it just shuts off. And I don't even know what kind of damage this does to a car, but my strategy was, first of all, I put it in neutral just coast as far as I could, could coast on the momentum that I had. And then when it stopped, I pulled over and I waited until I had an opening, and I cranked the car back up, and I got some more speed, and it cut off again. I coasted as far as I could coast, because I knew I was nowhere near a gas station. And I probably destroyed my car doing this. I don't know. I coasted as far as I could. I was just hoping to make it to an exit, at least. I didn't make it. Cranked it up again, got back out. I had, like, just a couple seconds before it shut off. And I'm moving, like, less than a mile per hour. But so long as the car's rolling, I'm going to stick with it. Cars are flying by me, 70 miles per hour. And I see an exit there, and I make it Barely. And it's an exit downhill, so perfect. Gravity is going to help me. So I made it to the exit, and I, I was coasting down the exit. still going very slow. car's up ahead of me at the light. I'm just praying they'll get out of the way so I can use my momentum to round that bend. And I know this exit. This is on the way to our church at the time. And there's not a gas station within 10 miles of that exit. So I know wherever the car lands, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. Because not only was my car out of gas, my cell phone was out of batteries. So the cars didn't get out of the way. I ran the red light so I didn't lose my momentum. And I made it to a little tiny side street that went to a residential area. And there was nothing else I could do. I was out of hills. I wasn't going to try to crank the car again. I was very thankful just to have gotten off the interstate. I know I'm nowhere near a gas station. I don't have a cell phone. I'm in my, my mattress firm dress clothes. It's like 90 degrees. And if I've exaggerated any part of this story... I'm not exaggerating this part. This is absolutely true. The minute I got my mercury sable off into the grass, the very second, as I was putting it in the park, I saw in my rearview mirror, a white Dodge Ram pull up right behind me. And two teenagers got out each side. I don't even think they were wearing shirts. I don't know where they came from. And they hopped out, and they said, you know, I was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and they said, we're doing okay. Did you run out of gas? I said, yeah. And they're like, man, it is your lucky day. And these two random teenagers in Durham and their white Dodge Ram had two big old things of gas, big old containers of gas in their truck that were so full that they were sloshing out of the nozzles. And they are like, man, these are spilling gas all over my truck. I'd be glad to get rid of some of it. And gave me like a quarter of a tank of gas. And then they left. And I don't know who they were or where they came from or, or anything about them. And I sat in the car and I just... I wasn't really in any real danger there, but I just thought, man, God could come through in any way, unexpectedly, at any time. Now, I know that's a little silly situation. All I would have had to have done is just walk a little bit. And I could have, I would have been fine. But I do think back on that. When I'm in a mess and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? I, I remember that. And I remember, don't underestimate what God can do. And don't forget that it might be something that you could not even imagine. You would never guess. And it can come at any time And you might not see it coming But that's an example of In my life A time I can look back on Ron asked me right before I got up here He's like how you doing I said I'm nervous And I was telling him why And I said well who am I kidding I'm nervous every Sunday And I realized in that moment That I go through this ritual every week Every Sunday morning is is a fear thing for me Public speaking is the number one fear Which technically means, even though I won't ride roller coasters, I'm still braver than most men. (laughs) But every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning it's the same thing. And I know that it's it's weak faith in me, and I, I pray that God's working it out. But every Sunday morning I have to think back. Remember last week? He got you through? Remember the week before that? He gave you words? Just remember, he's, he's there. He always has been. Just remember, remember, don't forget. Remember, so much of our battle is just to remember, and that's what David does. He addresses his fear, he, and he remembers who God is. And then I love verse six. This is the point that, that I believe we can get to if we will look back, try to have faith in God. We can say with David in verse six, "I will not be afraid." He just resolves, I will not be afraid. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me round about. Just, it's going to feel good. Just say it with me. I will not be afraid. I'll count to three so you don't say, one, two, three. I will not be afraid. Okay, now you've said it. You have to be men and of your words and you have to go and do it. I tricked you into that one. David amplifies things here in verse 6 a bit. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me around about me. He looks at his situation. He sees it for what it is. It's it's real danger. It's true. And he looks at God and he sees God for what he is. His shield. His glory. The lifter of his head. And then he looks back at at the danger he was so worried about. And he says, I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm not going to be afraid of ten thousand times what that is. Now I want you to think back to the danger, the fear that you've been thinking about during this this sermon. Now multiply that by 10,000. What would be the absolute worst case scenario if everything went according to your worst fears with that situation? You have no more reason to be afraid of that than you do your current situation. Because it doesn't change God and His character and what He can do. So just using my little little example, which is a minor thing, but my, my nervousness on Sunday morning, I have no more reason to be afraid if you guys were 10 billion people than if it's, it's what we have, about 80 people. It's all the same because God is the one who's supplying what I need. God is my shield, so it doesn't really matter what's on the other side of that shield. God is my glory, so it doesn't really matter what I stand to lose because I'm not going to lose God. God's the lifter of my head, so it doesn't really matter what I was going to weigh my head down because God. So he resolves to trust God. And then finally, this will not be shocking to you, but he prays. It always comes back to these simple things. Read your Bible and pray. But what I do notice, he does not say, I will not fear ten thousands of people. Instead, I will pray. He doesn't resolve to pray. He just prays. How many times have you resolved to pray and never actually got there? It can almost feel like we're praying just because we're thinking, "Oh, I need to pray about that." But David doesn't do that. He looks at the danger, he looks at God, says, "I'm not going to be afraid." And then he prays. And it's such a simple prayer. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Save me. And then he just trusts God. And you know why he trusts God? He says, in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord owns salvation. He'll dispense it. Salvation is the Lord. So we turn to Him. We look to Him and we have faith in Him. Now, again, so easy for me to preach this, so hard for us to go and do in our real lives. But that's okay too. And the reason I say that is because in a few moments we're going to observe communion. We observe communion because it's a, Jesus told us to, it's a regular reminder in the rhythm of church for us to come back together. And look back at the fact that Jesus has solved all of our biggest problems. So you might have the feeling in your heart right now, this is all well and good, but I can't go and face my situation without fear. Well, you know, you're right. You can't. You can't do it. You can't have that kind of faith, that kind of peace. You can't just make that happen. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And it will grow in your life and God will bring it about if you'll just keep your eyes locked on Jesus. And so I'm glad the communion is this Sunday. In just a few minutes we're going to pray and we're going to pass around a little piece of bread. And that little piece of bread represents something really big. It represents the fact that God gave His Son, His body broken for us, so that we could be with God. So that we could have that shield, so that we could have that glory, that lifter of our heads. We're going to pass around a little tiny cup with juice that represents Jesus' blood spilled for us. And he, he did all that for us so we could be cleansed from our sins, so we could be with God again, so that we could have a, a, a hope for God's glory, so He could have a people. But think about your fears and your worries in light of this bread and this cup. Think about what Christ did so that we could have God. Remember that He's our shield. So I want to pray right now. And after I pray, I'll invite the deacons to come forward and we'll serve communion. Let's pray. Father, I know that my words are so inefficient to address some of the very real dangers in our people's lives. But I know that your words are so much more than mine. They're true. They are weighted in eternity. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work the truths of this chapter into our hearts today. May we not be a people who are afraid, but may we turn that fear into. Into prayer and faith in you. Lord, please, get, we're, so, we're so fragile. We, we need you to show us that you're our shield. Some people in this congregation need to see something tangible so bad. I pray that you would, you would bless us that way. For some of those people that you know need it, that you would... Or just show them that you're their shield. We need your help to trust you. And now as we prepare to observe communion, Lord, may may these small symbols, may they just come alive in our hearts, may we realize what they mean. For it's in Jesus' name that we have any hope, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.